Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to stay in John tonight and look at John chapter 8. I was piddling around and I typically don't go on uh, Facebook or anything like that, but I was looking at some videos that was an advertisement for America's uh, Funniest Videos or something. I don't know what it was, but anyway, it it showed all these little kids trying to hide. And you know, when you're a little kid, you try, you get up behind, had one little girl that was behind, under, behind a, a table. And she had her eyes peeking over the table and she thought she was invisible because she could just barely see who was trying to hunt for her. And of course you could see the, all the lower part of her body because there wasn't any table down there. And of course the top of her head too. And, and uh, they were playing along and they said, where are you? And she said, I'm over here. And then uh, there was another little little one that was playing hide and seek. And you could see he was hiding underneath a, a table kind of like a desk or something like that or credenza and uh, he was scooted up under there but his feet were just poking out like this and and they said where are you and he said I'm over there and and uh, and they said where and he pointed out over there <laughs> Isn't that funny how little ones will feel like they they're invisible when they can't see you, but you can but you can clearly see them. And you know, uh, uh, we we're that way with our sin towards God, aren't we? We think that we can uh, uh, do whatever we. Uh, want to do and oh nobody knew nobody saw so we think that because nobody else saw that maybe God didn't see we we tend to, a lot of times with our sin uh, that I think that's the first lie that Satan tells us in order to tempt us is nobody will know nobody will know and God won't and <laughs> God won't see it either but God sees everything, and Jesus, and God knows everything. Jesus encountered the Pharisees in, the, in John chapter 8. He was in the temple teaching, and while he was there teaching, it says in John chapter 8 that the Pharisees, uh, while he was, uh, had gone up to the Mount of Olives, in uh, the end of John chapter 7, it shares that uh, they were. Uh, they had been, uh, Jesus had been teaching and everybody went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came into the temple and he was there to teach and he had sat down in order to teach. Now, you have to remember when it says he sat down, this is the position of the teacher. Uh, everybody else stood and the teacher sat and uh, uh, so it says that he had sat down and this means that he was preparing to teach and, and it says that he taught them and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 3 says, uh, brought unto him a woman taken into adultery and when they had set her in his midst, uh, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? 
This they said, tempting him that they might have accused him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. Uh, so the setting is, is that Jesus is there teaching. And while he's teaching, uh, the Pharisees who are trying to trap him bring this woman caught in adultery. Now, no doubt that this woman had been uh, set up, that this had been a situation in which she had been entrapped by someone. Most likely one of the Pharisees themselves had uh, been the other party in the act of adultery. You notice here, it doesn't say anything about the man, only the woman. The woman was caught. Well, if she was caught in the very act, the man was right there too. Why didn't they draw him in there with them? Because it's clear in the book of Leviticus that uh, it's not just the man, but also the woman that's to be punished when they're uh, called in adultery. This was a married woman as well. Because it says here that the woman was... uh, Uh, the penalty for such an act was stoning. Now, a woman that's merely betrothed or just a woman that's not even uh, betrothed to a man, uh, it says that when she commits adultery that she is to be taken out and strangled. Uh, You know, a much lesser penalty than stoning. And when you think about it, strangling though it it does lead to death, uh, is not as, as, as cruel as being stoned. So by them saying that the law of Moses requires that she be stoned, we understand from that, going back to the law, that this woman was a married woman and that was caught in the midst of adultery. And they brought uh, her to Jesus and they said to Jesus, what do you say that we do? Now, here was what they were trying to do. If Jesus had said to them, uh, yeah, go ahead and stone them. That's what the law says. You ought to do that. Then the Pharisees would have been able to call out Jesus for doing the kind of things, you know, Jesus would go and amongst the, uh, the, the sinners, the, uh, those who were harlots and those who were tax collectors, and he would sit with them and, and eat with them, and he uh, would share the gospel with them, uh, what we would call the gospel. At that time, it wasn't, uh, you know, the gospel message, but it was Jesus' message of love and grace that God was trying to express through through him and through his ministry and through his act on the cross of Calvary. And so what Jesus was doing was was taking his message of God's love to those who were undesirable, those who were in the midst of sin and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had nothing to do with them. They Those people were uh, outcasts and those people were people that they deemed should be condemned, just like this woman who was caught in adultery. And so if he would have said, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then they would have said, oh, you're, you're a hypocrite because you've been teaching and preaching about uh, going to these people who need uh, the gospel so much, these who are sinners and those who are uh, outcasts. And if he had said, no, don't stone her, don't do anything like that, then they would have caught him and they would have said, look, you're trying to undermine and demean uh, the Mosaic law. You're trying to break down the law. And so they had Jesus really in what they believed was a a no-win situation. If he had answered one way, he would have been wrong. If he had answered the other way, he would have been wrong. So what does Jesus do? He does what Jesus does the best. He gets to the heart of the matter rather than uh, having the issue 
about the law be what was the center of the uh, topic, what he got back to was the true center of the topic, which was uh, our sin and the sin of this woman. And so uh, what Jesus does is, is while he's sitting there, it says that Jesus stoops and begins to write in the dust as if he doesn't even hear them. Now, this was uh, an opportunity for Jesus to cause these men to think about the actions they were doing. But unfortunately, the Holy Spirit did not inspire the, the, uh, uh, the, the apostles to write for, out for us what Jesus wrote in the sand. Now, there are some who believe that Jesus might have uh, uh, written out some Scripture verses that are found in the Old Testament, verses that they would be aware of in in the book of Exodus about uh, not colluding with those who are doing evil or... Uh, and those kind of things that would be directed towards them who were trying to trap him. Then there's others who believe that uh, there was other things that Jesus could have been scribbling into the sand, uh, into the dirt. Uh, Some say even that he could have been just drawing a picture of some sort uh, or drawing symbols in in the sand. We don't know exactly what it was. There's been others who speculate that maybe Jesus had been writing some of the very sins that were in the hearts of those Pharisees who were there that was just as bad as her sin of adultery. It could have been that he was right, and and there's others who believe, well, he was writing out the name of the man who was uh, who had uh, been involved with her that was in the act of adultery with her, or the names of those who had conspired and had set this woman up, whatever it was, it was enough it was it it did uh, we do have in the scripture that it convicted their hearts because Jesus the Bible tells us stood up and says, "He who has no sin, let him cast the first stone." And so Jesus is saying, uh, okay, you want to condemn this woman? If you have no sin, and I think that, and and for this reason, I believe that uh, maybe those words that Jesus wrote in the sand were related to their sins, saying, hey, I know what your sins are too. And he's saying, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And of course, none of them were without sin. None of them were sinless in their hearts. The only thing was they hadn't been uh, drug out from the midst of their sin and held uh, and brought before uh, others to be uh, tried and convicted right there in the midst of, of the public setting. Now, Jesus is in uh, the temple. He is in the courtyard of the temple. And this is to be a place of worship. It's to be a holy place. And here they have brought unholiness into the midst of the temple as well. And they've brought this... And the temple was the ex- very physical expression of the invisible God in the presence of the people of Israel. And it could very well be that Jesus was reminding them of the holiness of God and in doing so reminding them of the unholiness of their heart. And so Jesus, when he says, cast the first stone, uh, really uh, turned the tables on them and caused them to be in a situation where uh, they were in 
a unwinnable situation. They thought they had Jesus in in the midst, in between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. But Jesus, in essence, was saying, "Okay, if you think if you want to stone her, go ahead, stone her according to the law. But you need to first be without sin in your life." And of course, none of them could throw a stone because they had all. All of us are human. All of us have sin. And I I believe more than anything, though, Jesus, His words were pointing out to us some very important things that we need to be aware of. And I want you to see those things in this passage of Scripture as well. First of all, it shows us how God looks at our sin. Here, this woman is, is caught in terror in the midst of her sin. And really, like those little children, none of us can hide our sin from God. And we need to be shocked into the realization that God is aware of our sin and God knows what we do and God <coughs> knows those things that we do and, and, and He sees our sin. He knows it and He's aware of it. Secondly, Jesus very well could have been the one to throw the first stone. Do you realize that? Because he said, He who is without sin cast the first stone, and, and, and Jesus was without sin. He could have thrown those stones. And really, we need to understand that Jesus is the judge. He is the righteous judge. We're told that Jesus will be the righteous judge in the end times, and, he, and all of us will stand before God and, and will be judged, not just to, as to according to whether or not we have Jesus Christ into our heart and life, but we'll be judged by the things that we do. And even though we have salvation and even though we will be taken into, uh, uh, be into heaven and be with God for all of eternity when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart and life, it doesn't mean that, that the sins that we commit are just, just kind of uh, brushed over and, you know, hey, no, don't worry. Look, if that were the case, then Jesus' blood would not have had to be shed. Because it says that His blood covers our sins. God doesn't just wipe away our sins. He covers our sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're forgiven. But those sins, uh, those sins are still there. And, and, and He doesn't judge us according to our sin. He judges us according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ when that blood is applied. There's a lot of people who believe that when we stand before the great white throne of judgment that we'll stand before uh, God and He'll uh, judge all the things that we did uh, that we didn't ask for forgiveness or uh, all the things that we didn't do uh, that, that we were supposed to have done how we wasted our, uh, the things that God uh, provided for us and how we should have lived our lives. And of course, you know, we are forgiven. We do have grace. We do have mercy. And, we, and the Bible tells us that when we ask for forgiveness, that God separates us from our sins as far as the east is the west. And that means that, that we're never anywhere uh, uh, associated with our sin. And, and it says that God wipes away from His memory those sins that, uh, that are forgiven. 
but all, what about all the things that we do that we don't ask for forgiveness? That we don't uh, that we that we do, and we simply flippantly say, "Hey, God, forgive me." God forgive me, you know. It, it, uh, you know, I, I feel like we have to have a truly repentant heart when we come and ask for forgiveness, when we ask for God's mercy, and when we ask for His grace. We have to truly repent, and may, and it's possible uh, that that our sin, when we don't really repent, uh, we don't really mean in our heart that we're asking for forgiveness. It's a way of kind of appeasing our mind. But, uh, uh, but it, the Bible tells us if we're faithful and ju- uh, that w- if we confess our sins, the Bible tells us that, uh, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So don't let me confuse you on all that. But what we do see is the, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. We see uh, this woman who is, is, yes, fearful, but uh, we have to believe that she truly was repentant within our hearts. Because after all those people that left at, that wanted to stone her, Jesus stoops down again and is riding in the sand again. And all those men who wanted to stone her are gone, so why is he, he doodling in the, in the sand again? It's not for them because they're gone. It has to be for the woman who was caught in adultery. And, you know, it could be that Jesus was writing her sin out on the, in the sand and then wiping it away. Uh, symbolizing that he was forgiving her of her sins. It could be that uh, that he was writing in the sand, "You're forgiven," or whatever it could have been. He turns to G- uh, to the woman after he writes in the ground, and again we don't know exactly what it was. But she, after he writes in the ground the second time, he looks to the woman and he says, "Where are your accusers?" And she says, "They are all gone." And he said, and he says to her. Neither do I condemn you. Now, Jesus had the right to condemn her because of the fact that he was without sin. He's the righteous judge. He's the only one who's righteous. He's the only one who uh, is worthy of, uh, of bringing sentence against her. And he says, neither, in verse 11, he says, Neither do I condemn thee. And the more important thing is, is the next phrase that he says. Not, not only does he forgive her, but here's why I believe that, that she had a true change of heart. Because the next phrase says, now go and sin no more. So Jesus, in effect, is showing not only uh, grace, and, and what is grace? is unmerited favor. It's uh, uh, this woman didn't deserve to be forgiven. She, didn't des- uh, she was caught in the very act. And really, when you think about it, whenever we sin, just uh, uh, we, and again, I, I remind you, we can't hide ourselves from God. It might as well be that we're hauled right out in front of God in the very instant that we're committing sin against Him as well. We can't hide from God what we do. We can't hide from God our sin, but God extends His grace towards us just like Jesus Christ extended His grace towards this woman. And we're not condemned by our sin when we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our life. And He wipes away our sin. 
as he forgave this woman and said, I can, uh, neither do I condemn thee. But he says, go and sin no more. He says, leave here and don't commit this sin any longer. Now, I mentioned that there's a possibility that she could have been uh, set up, but uh, most likely in being set up in this sin, she most likely was, uh, in order to have been set up, was a habitual sinner in uh, this area in her life. You know, the easiest way for us to to be entrapped in temptation is the fact that we grow accustomed with allowing sin to stay in our life. Rather than giving it over to Jesus Christ and and giving it over to Him, allowing Him to take away our sins, uh, when we allow sin to, and we, we, you know, we say, oh, forgive me, Jesus, and help me to walk away from this, but we don't uh, really do the appropriate things to keep us from sinning. We get accustomed to that particular sin, whether it's uh, indulgence in chocolate that is just so scrumptious and, and we're gluttonous and eating it when we shouldn't really be eating it, or, or if it's uh, uh, taking uh, things that don't belong to us, whether it's out of a store or if, if it's on our taxes or, or whatever it might be, or whether it's... Uh, uh, lust within our heart of pornography or, or anything like that. Uh, when we allow that sin to become, uh, when we allow ourselves to become accustomed to that sin, even though we don't want that sin uh, in our lives, when we don't do anything to, to uh, uh, and we don't ask God to help us to keep that sin out of our life, we don't ask uh, accountability partners to help us to uh, keep us faithful to to walking with God and do the things that are necessary to uh, in our life to submit to God rather than submitting to this temptation, submitting to sin, then we allow ourselves to become accustomed to that sin. No doubt this woman had gotten accustomed in this sin, no matter how uh, uh, repentant she might have been when she was caught. You know, when we, uh, you know, when we believe we can drive down the road at 75 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, uh, we're not really too sorry until either we get in an accident or we're pulled over by a police officer, right? We're not sorry at all. In fact, we're, uh, uh, we know we're doing wrong when we're speeding. But the only time it really comes up in our mind and in our heart is when God convicts us or the police officer pulls us over or we get involved in an accident. Oh, nobody will know. Oh, it's just this once. I, this is a special situation. I, I'm late for a meeting or I'm late for a job appointment or I'm late for work. It's still wrong. When we allow ourselves to grow accustomed, it's easier to be tempted the next time and to fall into that temptation. And so what we see here is that Jesus instructs her and us Not only do we need forgiveness, but we need resolve to sin no more. To sin no more. And as I've mentioned and pointed out, there's a variety of things that we 
can and should do when we fall into a situation where we're tempted. Let me just point out something here that should go without needing to be said, but so often we do need to say things like this. First of all, it's, there's nothing wrong with being tempted. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness before he, uh, right after he was baptized and, and before he uh, began his earthly ministry. Jesus was without sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're sinning. It means you're human. And so often the devil wants to hang the sin of guilt over our neck when we're tempted as a means of getting us to ease on in to yielding to that temptation. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with being tempted. There's everything wrong with yielding to that temptation and sinning. And so what we need to understand is that temptation it does not equal sin. Temptation equals humanity, equals being uh, a part of the human race. We are tempted throughout our life. You know, uh, what we do with that temptation determines whether or not we sin. So Jesus is saying to her, listen, go and sin no more. When we're tempted, we need to do things, we need to get into the habit of doing those things that bring us closer to God rather than those things that lead to, t- uh, to sin. When we do nothing, it, we're led like a bull uh, by the nose into sin. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Each time he went to the scriptures, each time he responded to Satan by quoting scripture, and each time he uh, left that temptation not to sin. One of the greatest things you can do when you're facing temptation is to go to Scripture. Start quoting the Scripture or go to your Bible and start reading the Bible, any verse in the Bible. It'll take your mind away from that temptation. It'll take you away from that sin. Uh, Also, go to the Lord in prayer when you are tempted. Invite God in your very conscious. The mind is where temptation and sin begins. And when you're tempted in your mind, the best thing you can do is, is take your, uh, open your mind to God and allow God to uh, speak to you into your heart by going to Him in prayer and allow Him uh, to, uh, to help you from that. Pray, God, help me out of this temptation. Lord, help me to, to not sin. God, help me not to, uh, to allow this temptation to lead me into sin. Lord, send the devil to hell. That's that's the best thing you can pray. God, send that devil to the hell so I don't have to deal with this temptation. That's not cursing. That's the very physical place. You're uh, saying, God, uh, take this uh, take this temptation and and take it away from me. And it's doing something else. It's showing your dependence upon God. It's showing your reliance on Him and not on yourself. And it allows God to be glorified in that you know He is the source of your strength and He's the source of your righteousness in your life. And so Jesus uh, teaches us that not only uh, when we uh, face 
are in a situation where we have sin like this woman who was caught in adultery, He not only forgives, He redeems. And when He redeems, we are uh, set free. This woman was set free because Jesus uh, uh, forgave her of her sin, set her free from the bondage of that sin, and set her free in, in her life to live for Him. What a wonderful thing for us to see. Uh, the very picture of the salvation process or the, uh, the forgiveness of sin in this, the life of this woman uh, that was called an adultery. And while she was in, uh, in a very real sense, her life was saved by Jesus because she, was, uh, she could have been uh, taken out to the city square, the, the gates of the city, and they could have stoned her right then and there for what she was done. Jesus showed her not only uh, uh, forgiveness, but He showed her grace and redemption. What a wonderful thing to remember when we find ourselves in sin. When we, you know, and that's another thing. Jesus is the only one who ever lived without sin. And for us to pretend like we don't sin is, is uh, really uh, laughable because we all have sin. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. We all have sinned. So what we need to do is we need to look to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, His forgiveness and His love. And that's exactly what we see in this passage of Scripture tonight. God loves you. God wants to help you through uh, your sin, through your temptation. He wants to lead you into the path of righteousness. Just like it says in, in the 23rd Psalm about the Lord is my shepherd, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. And not only does he want to lead us through the path of uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, he also says, and he leads me through the paths of unrighteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His rod and staff, that rod and staff, are what was used to correct and to rescue. God wants to correct you and wants to rescue, prevent you from entering into sin, but when you do, to rescue from uh, that sin in your life. And this is an image of that rescue for the life of this woman and in your life as well, what Jesus Christ can do. What a wonderful thing to know His love. Jesus' first impulse was not to condemn, but to forgive. What should be our response when we find someone who's done something against us? That's another thing to think about. As so often we want to condemn those who uh, we meet in the world that have been a part of sin rather than to forgive and to help them be set in a pathway of righteousness through redemption in Jesus Christ. Oh, we don't want you here. You leave. You go away from us. And we want to throw things at them. We've, we verbally throw insults at them so they'll leave rather than saying to them, Look, Jesus wants to forgive you. Come on in. Come on in. Jesus wants to forgive you, wants to give you the opportunity to live a righteous life. 
And that's what we need to share with the world as well. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You for this image of Your love and image of Your grace and forgiveness. Lord, we pray that You'd help us in our life to portray that love towards others.